Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. This is Dimity in Denver, and um, it's all good, even though I did not run today, Miss yes. SBS. Yes. As a matter of fact, I slept till 7 a.m. You did not. Oh, I didn't think you were physically capable of doing that, Dimity McDowell. <laughs> um, well, Sarah Bonchet, I am capable of sleeping till 7 a.m. Because I think I'm, I mean, I'm definitely still recovering from the big I am Iron Mother effort. Um, I mean, that was, it'll be three weeks on Sunday, which mm-hmm. is four days away. So, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm two and a half weeks out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's just been so nice. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved that. I loved the, well, I, I, I tolerated the training process. I loved it at times and I had a hard time at other times, Loved the race, but that the release after right now, I mean, I have not had that, that those blues yet. And maybe, maybe they'll come and I'm open to them. If they want to come, I can handle you. Um, but I'm just, I mean, I still think about the race and think about, you know, the good parts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just so nice not to just kind of have a workout always on my mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and go to bed being like, okay, when the alarm goes off at five o'clock, I can hit snooze twice, but I've got to be out the door by 512 so I can be back by, you know, 647 so that I can make lunches or get the kids to the swim meet or whatever it happens to be, you know? Uh-huh. Wait, so you, just a technical point here, you really could honestly have the alarm go off at 5, hit snooze twice, and be out the door by 512? Well, that was a little bit of a... But, I mean, I could I could get up at 505 and be out the door by 512. Wow. Oh, wow. easily. Yeah. Oh, I could, I, I could even say... I could even... I could see you three minutes and probably get out by 5.09. I mean, because we may or may not have talked to this, but I typically don't need to, you know, drop the kids at the pool when I wake up. <laughs> um, the proverbial so, pool. Uh-huh. Yeah, the proverbial pool, otherwise known as the porcelain goddess. <laughs> and um, and then I usually, you know, especially during Ironman training, I knew that I had to have my stuff laid out because if I didn't lay it out, that's just another thing that I had to do that would be a, a mental hurdle to get over you know, to, to, to go. And especially with swimming, I mean, you know, I had to have my keys, you know, a bottle of noon, my kickboard, my pull buoy, my towel, go- you know, all that stuff. I mean, I kept it together, but I had to have it ready to go. So do you fill up your water bottle the night before and put the noon in it the night before? Sometimes. Sometimes and, I did. And yeah. then, and see, I always drink an entire, um, I guess it's a 24 ounce bottle with noon in it before I head out the door. So, and I don't make it the night before, so I need to put it in there let it dissolve, you know, like while I'm putting on my shoes or whatever. So do you have, do you not drink all that much before you go out or? You're no, just... I don't drink. I don't drink. I um, usually, um, I mean, on, on most mornings I would just have a banana, um, you know, and then if it was a longer morning, like if I was going to be on the bike for a while or, um, or running for a while, I'd take a, a goo with me, um, you know, or a couple of goos. But yeah, I mean, usually before I went, it was either a banana or if we we're out of bananas, I would, you know, um, have a couple sheets of graham crackers or uh, what else? Sometimes I have a pumpkin muffin and then I I go. And and so you're telling me you eat a couple sheets of graham crackers and you still don't drink anything. I'm, I just can't get past this what? point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might take a sip, but it's not like I sit down. I don't sit down. 
you know, at all. Oh, I don't sit. Oh, I don't sit down. But I, I stand there at the island in the kitchen and just chug a luck or something. No, 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 I don't need it. I mean, I just, I I didn't need it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I I always had it with me. I mean, so if I was at the pool, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd have a bottle there. So, I mean, yes, I might drink it on the, on the car drive over there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but if it was a short run, you know, 60 minutes or less, I didn't take anything with me, especially smoking like a true, smoking like a true iron mother. I mean, if it was a short run, 60 minutes or less, (laughs) (laughs) it's all perspective. My body has, you know, has, has hit the brakes, but my mind hasn't yet. I'm like, oh yeah, that's short. Um, Give me a couple months and I'll be like, I have to run for 60 minutes. Um, And yeah, and the bike. And then if I'm on the bike, of course I've got a, you know, I've got two water bottle holders. So, I mean, I did drink, but I just didn't, um, you know, I really, you know, I mean, for me it is don't think, just go. I mean, the quicker I can just get the heck out of Dodge and get going, the, the, the least resistance because well, you know, I guess sometimes, sometimes I'll get up and I will fill some orders from our online store before I go out. You know, like I like, oh, oh. oh yeah, no, or you know, I'll be like, oh okay, well, you know, maybe I'll make the kids sandwiches before I go, or I don't know. Um, and that, oh, but oh, that, no. but that's all about getting, you know, having gravity work on its side for me and, and to pull things yeah. down the proverbial chute. Or I guess it's not a proverbial yeah. chute; it's an actual chute, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's I'm, I'm okay with most days. I'm okay. Yeah. I, 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 I'll check my. Um, sometimes I'll check my phone. You know, while I'm eating the banana or something like that. Check, uh-huh. you know, do a scan the email or something like that. But, mm-hmm. but no. Wow. But but going back to my original conversation, I mean, it's just so nice not to have to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, so I've been really, you know, I mean, and I know I should be. I mean, recovery is 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 as important as a training. And even when I get a little antsy, I mean, I put up on Facebook like last Saturday. It was like, Mom, like I'm so hungry, Mom. I'm so bored. What's for dinner? Can I watch TV? Why can't I do? technology which is like our you know term for we slash computer screen ipad whatever and uh i mean just whining 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 and i just i mean you know it was hot it was like 90 degrees here and sunny and i was like if i could just go for a run day now i'd be so happy like i just needed to to get the heck out of dodge oh it is it's true even when i'm not training for a race still on the weekends that's why i go out for a 10 or 12 mile run it's like okay i get to be away from everybody for you know yeah 90 to 120 minutes yeah yeah that was saturday afternoon then my friend becky sent out an email saying i'm gonna go on this run tomorrow becky is um has is a a speedy runner um and i and and she's like does anyone want to join me and i wrote back i was like yes in capital letters (laughs) i'm like i don't know if my legs are ready for hills and I probably can't keep up with you because I, I can't keep up with her anyway. But I'm like, I will just go with you, you know, and we can just, you know, work it out along the way. And it was so funny because we ended up with like five women in the neighborhood coming and they all saw the post on Saturday <laughs> afternoon and they were like laughing at my capital, like, yes, I am coming. <laughs> I might be on crutches. It doesn't matter. So. They are all part of your uh, Ragnar Relay team, aren't they? Yeah. Most of them are, yeah, for the Colorado Ragnar. So we just, I just have a group of women, um, some not friends just, of mine. Not just, not just, mm-hmm. we delete that word from our... Uh, well, con- we do, but I mean, but they're not the, they're not the women that were selected. They're not the, AM. they're not the Ragnar relay, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, so not, I mean, but they're, they're my friends, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so we are doing it um, noon, we got an entry from noon. So our, our team name is morning, noon, N-U-U-N, mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. colon. We mothers run. And you want to know what our team colors are? What are they? They are um, hot 
pink and black, like uh, the beauty school dropouts. Um, no, it's not what they are. It's, uh, you know, they're, Rizzo from Greece. Who is yeah, that? What, what's the, their name? They're the pink ladies. Oh, the pink ladies. Yeah. So we're the 21st version of the pink ladies. Mm. Screw beauty school. Go Ragnar and Mother Runners. <laughs> All right, I think I think we have, we have uh, once again spent a long time chit chatting and not bringing on our guest. So our guest today is Dr. Jane Anderson, who is in addition to being a mom of two and an avid runner, she is a podiatrist in private practice in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and she was the host of our North Carolina house party last year. Woo, that was a blast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about. Um, a range of foot problems from like DIY surgeries, which I specialize in, um, <laughs> up to like stress fractures and other stuff that you probably want to see somebody like Dr. Anderson for. Thanks for joining us today, Jane. We're very pleased to have you on the show and, and talk about feet. Well, thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here. Good. So, so last week I was getting a pedicure and the woman working on my feet who um, knows I'm a longtime runner actually commented on what good shape my feet were in, particularly my toenails. And she was saying that um, they looked relatively normal compared to a lot of other runners' feet. And, and I told her, I think that's because my shoes have, I, I buy shoes that have ample room in the toes. Do you think too many women are wear their shoes too small and that might be what's causing the problems? I definitely think that's an influence. I mean, if you look at running shoes, I think they all, the good running shoes, the really high quality ones, the brands that we all know, they tend to run a little on the small side. So mm-hmm. I wear a whole size bigger in my running shoes than I do in my regular shoes. Um, I know a lot of people just wear a half size bigger. And the people that are having problems with their toenails, oftentimes I'll find that they're wearing the exact same size that they wear in every other shoe. And it's just not enough room at the end of the toe box. So that is a big influencing factor. I, I also feel like socks are an issue that mm-hmm. are probably underappreciated as an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, having really large feet, um, I know that I have to buy large socks. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, when I first started, to, when I did my first half marathon, you know, however many years ago it was, eight, nine years ago, I spent more money on finding the right pair of socks than I did shoes. I was pretty good on my shoes. I got it the first try. I knew what I was looking for. My socks, I went through, I can't tell you how many pairs. In the first round, I realized I was buying socks that were for the average women's you know, foot size. And that's just not big enough for me. And I was getting blisters on the end of my toes mm-hmm. and I'm underneath my nail from my socks being too small. Mm. Uh, so I really think that's something to pay attention to, but also to note that your socks shrink over time. So I find that after you've had them for six months or a year and you've washed them a gazillion times, they're not the same size they started off as. So just kind of keep in mind to replace your socks frequently also and make sure they're roomy enough because that can put pressure on the toenails as well as the shoes. Mm. And what about, um, what about, uh, fabric recommendations? Do you have an, I mean, we, kind of say no to cotton socks. Are you in that camp? Right. Right. And, you know, I would say 10 years ago, that was a, that was a tall order. You know, you would go, you'd have to go to a really exclusive running shoe store and pay $12 a pair for, you know, which a lot of people still do mm-hmm. to get a running sock that was a wicking sock. But now the technology is so widespread that you can buy them anywhere. And it's just a matter of what feels good on your on your feet. But definitely wicking materials, avoid 100% cotton. If it's got a small amount of cotton in it, I think it's fine. But having cotton, 
you know, and and sacks that don't wick really increase your chances of blisters and rubbing and things along those lines. So it's really important to kind of make sure you're wearing the right fabric. And most runners, unless they're really early on, have figured that out because it's so widespread now. Hmm. And so to keep the conversation on, focused on toenails for the moment, um, so how short should you cut your toenails? And, and do you want to keep them straight across? Because I don't know, otherwise my dad or somebody was like, oh, you don't want to cut your toenails. You know, you don't want to put little curves on the side because then it'll dig in and give you ingrown toenails. And, and I thought maybe that was just my dad being overly cautious. But then I met a woman recently who complained of having a hideous ingrown toenail and it was really bothering her a lot when she was running. Yeah. You know, it is it is true to a certain degree. Like if you have a toenail and you cut the corners back too far, you are more prone to get an ingrown toenail, which is just to describe what that is. It's really where the nail gets caught underneath the skin and you're, it's like a foreign body. It's trying to grow out, but it can't because it's trapped Mm. and your body forms an infection as a reaction to that. And so for, you know, ingrown toenails can be very serious. You can have an ingrown toenail that's not infected or it can be infected, which would be red or swollen or draining and if it's infected, that's, I mean, it's something that should be really um, definitely paid attention to. Um, I've seen plenty of patients in my career where they ignored their ingrown toenail for months and months and ended up with osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection. Ooh, so oh, you definitely don't want to go there. So if you have an ingrown toenail and it's red and swollen, definitely see your podiatrist. We can help you with it, you know, even if it's not infected. But back to your cutting it question, yeah, you don't want to cut the corners back too far because you can lead to an ingrown toenail. There are people that have ingrown toenails that just cut them back routinely to kind of prevent them from becoming infected. Mm. Um, But I am a big fan of kind of cutting it short enough so there's not very much white left and maybe just smoothing the corners so they're not sharp. Because I know it's happened to me before. Like I cut my toenails and go out for a run and I come back and like there was one little tiny corner that poked my skin and it looks like you've cut off your toe because there's so much blood, which is because of the wicking socks. It makes it look like you've lost a toe and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? And it's this tiny little pinprick from your toenail. So you definitely want to smooth the corners a little bit, but you don't have to cut them back. Wicking socks are are vampires. They just pull blood right out of your body. Exactly. (laughs) Along with every, every liquid. Sweat. Okay, well, I'm going to take over this, this this portion of the podcast for a minute because I do not have, you know, model-worthy feet like our um, my co-host, Sarah. I My feet just are just dumps to look at. Like, I'm embarrassed when anybody sees them. Um, so I, I ran a marathon, as you know, in the, um, in the Ironman. And, uh, I mean, you know, and I'd run up to 18 miles and had no foot problems. And that, those extra, you know, uh, whatever that, what is it, eight miles? Eight point two. Uh-huh, yeah. two miles just trashed me. I mean, I have, I mean, I I had blisters under my, on one foot under my big toenail. Um, My second toenail on one foot, like gets the brunt of everything, everything. Is that common? Like for the second one to get it instead of the first? It is if it's the longest toe. And a lot of people will buy their shoes for their big toe length and not pay attention to the fact that their second toe might be longer. Isn't there a term that means to have your second toe longer than your first toe or no? Uh, I think it's it's what people call Morton's toe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it, that's not really a term I use very often because it's so common. It's probably 40% of the population. So it's just a normal variant mm-hmm. in my book. But it you know it's interesting because I think also when you have a long toe or 
sometimes when you're running or things like that, you're also gripping your toes a little bit more, especially mm-hmm. with the longer distance and, and you're stabilizing your foot more. And that second toe often gets the brunt of problems, you know, with or without runners. I mean, I see that as, as a problem with many people. So um, I, I do think that, yeah, it may be that your second toe is a little bit longer, but it can happen anyway. But generally, the longer one is the trouble one. So. Okay. Okay. So, so that my right foot, so this is my right foot and it's that second toe. And I mean, it was just, you know, it was purpler than a grape, right? I mean, it was just so gross. Yeah. And, um, and finally I was, uh, I, I, I was taking a bath, um, a couple of weeks ago or actually probably like a week ago. And I was in the bath long enough to, for it to soak and kind of really like, you know, um, you know, loosen up a little bit and mm-hmm. I ripped it off and, Oh my gosh. I mean, it was thicker than a horse hoof, Jane. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was so gross. I mean, because there was like, you know, because doesn't that happen? Like when you lose a toenail, it grows back thicker. Is that right? It can. So it's interesting because there are different reasons people have thick toenails. The most common reasons are trauma and fungus. And, oh, you know, typically <laughs> speaking, if you're a hopefully. runner, <laughs> hopefully it's trauma. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a runner, most likely it's trauma. And a lot of people are confused. And we don't always know, honestly, when people come in. But when I, I also tell people that the nail that gets traumatized is more likely to develop fungus. So oftentimes you have both problems. And even if you did the best antifungal treatment possible, if you're still traumatizing your toenail, it's not going to get better. Or it may not be better because you may have damaged the nail root. So it's always a possibility that, you know, the base of your nail, if you look at the base of your fingernail, you've got that little volumula area. That's called your nail matrix. And that extends Mm -hmm. underneath the skin as well. And that's where the nail grows from. It's the cells that create the nail plate. So -hmm. if you damage that area, like you drop something on it or you have a bad injury, your nail may grow with ridges, it may grow thickened, it may just grow abnormally for the rest of your life, and there's nothing you can ever do about it. Or okay. it I think that's not, I think that's know. the boat I'm in. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, this, know, this it, puppy it may or may not be. She also specializes in dropping stuff on her toes, right, Tim? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Well, um, well, and um, I mean, but it was okay for me to pull it off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. if your nail is not coming off. You know, sometimes I like to leave it in place just to make sure that it it gives a template for the new nail to grow so that you don't get an ingrown toenail when the nail's missing. But at the same time, you know, if it's loose at all, it's going to come off anyway and probably with your sock or something, which is a lot more painful. So mm. it's okay to take it off. Now, yeah, I mean, people... and now I do have a little bud of a cute little real nail. And I haven't oh, looked down in like eight months and had, you know, I haven't looked down in eight months and not seen purple on that foot. And so I'm so excited that it's actually like, you know, there's a promise of a new day on my right foot. Yeah. Okay. And then my left foot, let's talk about that for a second, because this is a big, big question. So I got a blister under my big toenail. And, um, and it, so it was just, you know, and of course, like my kids who are, you know, not learning to walk or anything, but always, you know, I'm wearing flip flops and they just stomp on it, you know, not, <laughs> you know, but not Ow. purposely, but it just, I mean, it just sends me through the roof, you know, it hurts so much. I'm like, I've got to relieve the pressure somehow. So I sterilized the safety pin and I stuck it under the nail. And is it better to stick it under the nail or through the top? Well, if it were, if it were me and I just had a safety pin, I'd probably go through the end of the nail or through the end underneath because it's really hard to poke through the nail with control. You know what I mean? Yes. And to get through it without stabbing your nail bed. So yes. I 
think that it's, I think you did the right thing. For me, like in the office, if people come in with a subungal hematoma. Since 2011, BarkBox has been committed to making dogs happy. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. BarkBoxes include all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. Not a phrase I say every day. Dimity's dog Mason, an energetic Weimaraner, is eagerly awaiting his first BarkBox. Dimity let BarkBox know the breed, size, and even name of her dog, as well as the all-important chewing preferences. And now, on the 15th of each month, a new box will get shipped to Mason. Each monthly box is themed, like Country Fair or Brooklyn Hipster, with new and unique toys to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. If your pooch doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox promises to send something they'll love, for free, because BarkBox is all about dog happiness. Choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel anytime. Free shipping in the continental U.S. For a free extra month when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash AMR. That's BarkBox.com slash AMR. Woof! Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com AMR when you subscribe. That's StoryWorth.com AMR. Toma, which is where they have a collection of blood underneath the nail. Um, it usually looks, you know, it's all purple. And then they've got like kind of redness at the base of the nail. And it's all puffy and, and you know, just really uncomfortable and painful. And I use a little cautery pen, which we use in surgery, which is like a it's like 2000 degree little monofilament that I can just like touch the nail and zip and it just goes through and then all the fluid comes flying out. It's really amazing. Ooh, we so, want, yeah, we I, want I, video I, of that, I think. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of neat because if there's enough fluid, there's this really nice barrier between your nail bed and the, you know, the nail so that it's no problem. But if there's not a lot of fluid underneath there, it's hard to get it through without, you know, hurting the nail bed or something. So we we generally, I don't drain the ones that don't have quite a lot, you know, a fair amount in there. But okay. yeah, I think at home, I think you're probably doing the right thing because it would be really hard to get through the nail plate without injuring yourself, I think. Okay. And is that okay to do? <laughs> you know, yes and no. I mean, I think it's fine as long as you sterilize everything and... You know, I would say uh, absolutely not if you had diabetes or if you have vascular disease or anything like that. If you have vascular disease, you're not running marathons anyway, but it, you could if you had diabetes, and that's not a great thing to do if you're in that situation. So. I'm just going to admit that the talk of Dimity's feet made me a tad bit queasy, but um, uh-huh. <laughs> so now it's now it's my turn to be a little gross and gnarly, but um, how about those callus shavers that, um, you know, that some people at, um, when you get a pedicure, you're, they're not allowed to use by law or whatever, but is it okay to use those things? at home that kind of to to 
get off those calluses on my feet that remind me of Parmesan cheese? Um, or, yeah. or, you know, do you use a more sedate, greater style one? And, and I, I sort of want to know why all my callus references all are cheese analogies. But um. uh, yeah, interesting. Um, I, you know, I think some of those graders are a little risky because it's hard to focus in on just the callus, depending on how big it is and how big the grater is. Mm-hmm. So it is, you can certainly take off layers of skin and cause an infection and, and things like that. So I, I err, you know, in the home surgery department, I err a little bit more on the conservative side just because for safety. And again, with diabetes, you would never want to do that or anything like that. But, it, you know, it it's one of those things where I know that there's a lot of people doing things like that that I don't know about. And it's probably good that I don't know about them. <laughs> um, so and some people, you know, really like their calluses when they run and other people like to get rid of them. And certainly a pumice stone or something like that is is good, but it's funny because, you know, the pumice stone really works when you don't have much callus there. So if you, you know, use it before the callus really builds up, then mm-hmm. it's very effective, but it's hard to get it down. I realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, I'm really, you know, weary of, of people in pedicure and it does vary from state to state what the laws are, but mm-hmm. I get really nervous when people take out sharp instruments when you're getting a pedicure and, you know, you look at them and they're not supposed to, and they're looking for the health inspector and you're thinking, no, no, no. So I, I just think that's a bad idea. If they're not supposed to do it by law, I, I just don't think it's great. Right, so, right, right. Uh, we, we don't condone illegal activity here at Another Mother Run. Okay. <laughs> well, so, so let's go a little bit deeper and talk about some bigger issues, like when, when they do need to come see someone like you, Jane, to help them when their feet are really ailing. Um, like a stress fracture. I mean, I've had, um, well, I've had two stress fractures and one chip fracture now. Um, can you talk a little bit about when you know you have one or when you should come see you? Well, it's really hard to tell sometimes. I mean, a lot of times stress fractures are obvious to us, but not obvious to a person. So it may just feel like kind of a dull, achy pain in part of your foot. It could be mimicking, if it was, say, if it were in your heel, it could mimic plantar fasciitis, which is a very common heel pain issue we see. Um, if it's in the front of your foot, like the long bones, the metatarsal bones, um, sometimes it just feels like some point tenderness in there. And honestly, the interesting thing about stress fractures is that you can't always pick them up on x-ray, especially early on. So they generally do not show up at all for about 14 days hmm. on x-ray. And then they'll show up on x-ray in most cases, but some cases they don't. Um, there are also things called stress reactions where the bone is, you know, if you did an MRI, you'd see edema in the bone, but it hasn't cracked yet. Hmm. So there's different levels of um, injury to the bone. And sometimes it's hard to pick it up. You know, when so- if someone comes to me and they think they have a stress fracture and it's within, you know, a week or something or it's early on, I'll still take an x-ray because it gives me a baseline to go by. So if they come back three weeks later and they're still hurting, I can compare the x-rays and say, oh, look at the little area that looks different now than it did, you know, three weeks ago. So oftentimes that's helpful. I mean, running on a stress fracture is hard because it can, you know, create a situation where it won't heal or it can make the fracture worse where it cracks or the bone moves or, or something along those lines. So I think it's always good to kind of get it checked out. Sometimes we don't know. I mean, sometimes someone will come in and I'll say, well, you know, it's a possibility you have a stress fracture, but I really think you don't. Um, So let's try this first and see how it goes. And then if you don't respond, we can, 
either take another x-ray or do an MRI or whatever is necessary for that particular type of bone, because they're all a little different in terms of how they present. Sure. And then then you mentioned my arch nemesis, no pun intended, um, plantar fasciitis. Um, And I had seen here in Portland, I'd seen a um, a sports medicine doctor and he was basically no help at all. And then you, Jane, recommended a really great podiatrist out here who just gave me some really practical things like taping tips and some exercises to do. And he really gave me hope that, you know, running would be in my future before too, too long. And so can you kind of talk about, you know, what plantar fasciitis feels like? Because I always thought it was in the ball of the foot and and, and not for me it is. And and just kind of what are some of the courses of action with it and, and why people shouldn't run on it? Maybe. Okay. So, so plantar fasciitis is the most common musculoskeletal pain I see. Mm. And it's, it's sometimes, and it's almost every day. And sometimes it's maybe five people a day or six people a day or something like oh, wow. that. Um, it really is common. And it, you know, there, it, what plantar fasciitis is, it's an inflammation of a band of tissue that is on the, the bottom of your foot. And it's called the plantar fascia and its function is to help support your arch. And it starts at the heel bone and where it's about maybe about an inch wide there. And it fans out to the ball of the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of people with plantar fascia as well have heel pain. Some people have arch pain. Some people have both. Very infrequently is it limited to pain on the ball of the foot. Usually that's something else. So it's usually heel pain. And the, the textbook characteristic, which when I say that, what that means is that if you were reading about plantar fasciitis in a medical textbook, this is what it would say. You know, the patient presents... Um, with pain when they first get up in the morning, their heel hurts. And then they walk for about 15 minutes and the pain eases up. Mm-hmm. And that, Or it hurts after they've been sitting and they stand up. And that's mm-hmm. how it usually starts. But it usually progresses. By the time people come see me, which is much later, which, you know, honestly, if they came earlier, it would be a whole lot easier to get them better faster. But by the time, to get to, by the time they get to me, it usually bothers them with every step. And then you have to start thinking, well, is there anything else going on? Like a stress fracture in the heel would bother you with every step, but plantar fasciitis could or could not. So, you know, you have to, you know, other things get thrown in your differential diagnosis when you get to that point. Um, but I would say if I had to um, describe what causes plantar fasciitis, I'd say that, you know, the most, the biggest cause is really anything that puts increased strain on your foot. So, in my number one class, I think shoes are the, are the shoes that are worn out. So mm. like your running shoes, I'm exercising in shoes that are two years old. Or, you know, my running shoes are a year old, but I run, you know, 12 miles a week or 15 miles a week. Um, or they're walking around in North Carolina. We have a very, very long flip-flop season. So, <laughs> so guess what? You know, before the advent of ortho heels, which I you know evangelize about them all the time because I think they're fabulous. Um, you know, before the advent of flip-flops that had an arch, it's like at the end of September. I mean, constantly people coming in with plantar fasciitis and plantar fasciitis because they have no support underneath their foot all summer long or they're walking barefoot. Um, I had a lady that got it because she put new floors in her house and created a no shoe rule. So she stopped wearing shoes because she had new hardwood floors and she didn't want to ruin them. So that's how she got plantar fasciitis. And, and the other things that are like weight gain. How about overly tight calves? Yeah. I mean, that's a contributing biomechanical factor. Certainly there are some people that are a little bit prone to that. And certainly that's one of the things we do is stretch out the calf muscles. Mm -hmm. And we also stretch the plantar fascia, which, which is really important. 
Um, I had plantar fasciitis once many years ago and I've worn orthotics for a really, really long time. And I was not wearing them much one summer when I had some bad sandals and things like that. And I developed it and eventually it went away with various things. I, but it was a really interesting learning experience for me as a practitioner because I got to trial the night splints and I'm like, Oh, this one is the best. And yes, and that, and, and then eventually when I lost some weight was what the final little bit went away. You know, mm. that was the, that was the thing. So hmm. when it gets really bad, losing a little weight is probably not going to take care of it by itself, but that's one of the important pieces I think that, you know, I talk to people about, which is hard. Can't exercise. Your feet hurt. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah so we, a lot, doc. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's like, well, get on the bicycle. So we, you know, we do a lot of things for plantar fasciitis. We do stretching exercises, avoiding walking barefoot, icing, massage, um, orthotics, or even some of the over-the-counter orthotics are quite good that you can buy today. Mm -hmm. um, new athletic shoes, a lot of times I'm counseling people to go shopping for a new pair of shoes. And, you know, sometimes that's usually in my first realm. Sometimes I'll add in anti-inflammatories. Occasionally we'll do cortisone injections. Um, sometimes we'll do physical therapy, immobilization in very severe cases, um, prednisone in severe cases. And then, um, and then if everyone goes through all those things and they've had it for like a year and they're never getting better and they're not making any progress, there, there are surgeries that we do for plantar fasciitis and, you know, it's less than 5% of the people that need it. So you shouldn't be afraid to go to the doctor for this because you're more than likely not going to end up in the OR. So just kind of keep that in mind is that, you know, we don't generally operate on it very frequently. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and you've talked about gaining weight, which is a good, good lead into my next question and pregnancy and how your feet change. Um, I mean, I know for me, I think I, I think they like spread, they grew, like they're just, they are water skis now in the truest sense of the word. And I feel like my bunions got worse too with pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, does that happen? Is that common? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that you have to keep in mind about pregnancy is that there's a hormone that circulates through your body that relaxes your ligaments so that you can give birth which is really important because otherwise your pelvis would never spread <laughs> big enough to have a baby, Maybe right? You could you just cut, cut, off that that hormone, right? You cut off that hormone of the knee. Like it's not allowed to go below your knee, oh, right? No. <laughs> but, you know, most people will find that their feet grow during pregnancy because of that hormone. So, you know, it's very frustrating because I know I went up a whole size between my two kids, you know, in, in the process of both children. And I know that I know I know how big your feet are, Dimity, and I yeah. <laughs> I empathize. Um, it's it is really hard, and I think that with the bunion, it may be that the ligaments that help kind of stabilize your big toe might have relaxed a little bit as well. That would be my guess in regards sure. to that. So, so is there anything else that you feel like we need to cover that like it comes up a lot with the runners or the women in your practice that, I mean, I know we can't go through every foot malady, although I know that that would make riveting podcast material, but, um, but is there anything else that you want to bring up just either like care and feeding of the feet or, you know, anything else that you see that you feel like is important to mention? I think really that people, um, you know, just to touch on again, replacing the shoes, I think people need to really pay attention to that because that's, like I said, one of the biggest causes of overuse injuries I see, like stress fractures and tendonitis and plantar fasciitis is actually shoes that are too old. So just kind of keep that in mind that you've got 350 to 500 miles. If you're a big person, you know, you're probably going to get closer to 350. If you're, you know, if you're a little wispy thing, you're probably going to get closer to 500 miles. Keep that in mind. If you wear them too long, you're more likely to have problems. 
get a good pair of shoes from your good local running shoe store. They know what they're doing in most cases. They should watch you walk and run. They should make sure you are wearing the right amount of support and control for your foot. And if, you know, the, the good thing, I was talking to someone about this the other day, the really great thing about a good running shoe store is that if your shoes don't work out, most of them will take a return. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. think about it. Maybe you can find them a little cheaper on the internet. But if you, if it doesn't work out and you have to return them, you know, you're out of luck pretty much if you've worn them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't encourage people to return their shoes, obviously, but if they're not working out, that's, that's a big advantage of, of being in that situation. And how about, um, should people have two pairs of shoes, like of the same sh- style to, right. to fluctuate between right. the two? So mm-hmm. I, the, there are huge advantages of that. And, and the two, the, the big reasons are number one, moisture, because especially if you're running every day or if you're wearing them outside of running, if you do not let your shoes air out for 24 hours, you are much more prone to athlete's foot, to warts and vi- you know other viruses and things like that, which are moisture diseases or you know diseases that that really thrive in a moist environment. So that's very helpful is to you know give them a day off, but also because the EVA, which is that middle level, the midsole of the shoe, that bony stuff in between the bottom and the upper. That stuff really needs a day to bounce back. Mm-hmm. So the shoes will actually last longer if you alternate them and give them a day off. Mm-hmm. So you'll kind of get to the point where you say, say okay, you know, um, you're, you're, you might get more miles out of each shoe if you do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to note. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware, but I've recently found out that. You know, the normal, you know, and it, we're putting minimalist shoes aside for the moment and, you know, maybe for the whole podcast because I don't know that we want to go there. But if you're looking at the different, just the general running shoes out there that's that have been on the market for a long time, you know, the three different categories of control, the neutral, stability, and motion control shoes. If you look at those shoes for years, there's been a 12 millimeter drop mm-hmm. between the back and the front. And now the industry standard has changed to be eight millimeters. Mm-hmm. And not to mention there's all the zero drop shoes out there too. Mm-hmm. So um, just keeping that in mind is that if people start experiencing problems with their Achilles tendon, mm. that would be one of the causes. <laughs> so to kind of uh, pay attention to that and see your podiatrist if you're seeing, you know, having any pain or discomfort or anything like that. But it's interesting how the industry has kind of changed the standard without a lot of publication about it. And maybe you guys knew, but I, oh, no. I just thought yeah, they sort of need yeah, like a like a public service announcement or something like, "Hey, folks, we're cut, we're you know cutting the the you know a third off or whatever, and and it's going to be your body's going to have to adapt to it. So pay attention." Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jane, for um, making a conversation about feet be entertaining and enlightening. So. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Not too gross. A little gross, but not too gross. Yeah. I, yeah. And that wasn't yeah. Jane's fault. Hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Well, thanks a lot, Jane. I'm thinking we'll have you on the show another time because I I know there's even more things to talk about with feet. So um, thanks a lot. Okay, maybe I was a little gross, but I definitely feel that I am the rule and you are the exception on this one, Sarah. (laughs) I mean, my friend Kari and I, she also did Ironman Coeur d'Alene. We um, were sitting around on Monday morning comparing our feet. And I mean, mine looked like, you know, Cinderella next to hers. So, Oh, really? um, So you're saying the the immediate day after the race? Yeah, Uh yeah. I mean, we were just waiting to to, to go to the airport. So we were just hanging out. (laughs) Oh, nice, nice. Of course, we had our our flip-flops on, you know, because you didn't want to put any real shoes on after, Uh um, you know, that 
that long day the day before. So, um, I mean, hers were just, isn't it? It's a hammer toe. Isn't the second toe? No, no, no. Long? Hammer toe is what I don't want to, I do not have a little perfect feet. That hammer toe is the little toe that's curled, like particularly the one on my right foot. Oh, oh sure. Curled under. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. so I was going to say she had a hammer toe, but that's not what it is. But yeah. anyway, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, I mean, that, that one that I talked about that came off that I pulled off, I mean, that one, I can guarantee you in three months, it's going to be black and blue again. Like if there's just a pattern, like that, that's just what it does. That's its role in my body is to <laughs> absorb the pain and just, you know, keep my children off of it. I'll be okay. But, but, and, and you know, it's so important to be, you know, cognizant of your feet. I mean, it's really is, that's the root of running, right? I mean, oh, and yeah. so if, if oh, they're yeah. not in a good place, then you're not in a good place. Well, and also what I realized when I had plantar fasciitis that got kind of bad there for a while. It's not just running, but then it's the whole rest of your life. I remember going to, um, Phoebe had her girls in the run, you know, finale race. So exciting. And, you know, here I'd been the assistant coach and I was so excited for my girls to run the race and my feet were just killing me at that thing. Because, you know, here I am standing around, you know, before the start, waiting for them to run it, taking public transportation to get there. And my overriding memory of that night is just get me home so I can get off my feet. Um, and I feel kind of bad about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so great. Well, if you want maybe some slightly less gross conversation about running and, and all things related to it, um, look for us on Facebook at run like a mother, the book, our website is another motherrunner.com. on Twitter. We're at the mother runner. Our books run like a mother and train like a mother are available on Amazon. And we'd love if you'd purchase them and many happy miles to you on, we hope pain-free feet. (laughs) 